Hey everyone, this is Josh Itzo, author of The Fiduciary Formula, and you're listening to The Fiduciary You Podcast, where I share the latest information on corporate retirement plan trends, ideas, and best practices. On the show, I feature industry experts across multiple disciplines to get their unique perspectives and actionable insights about what it takes to navigate the complexities of ERISA and provide a great retirement plan for employees in a rapidly changing world. If you're a retirement plan decision maker at your company or a retirement industry professional, this podcast is for you. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 34 of the Fiduciary You podcast. Before I introduce today's guest, I wanted to quickly mention the unexpected passing of John Carl, president and founder of the Retirement Learning Center. John was a highly respected thought leader and innovator in the retirement industry, and many of us saw him just last month at Napa. His passing comes as a total shock to all of us, and many wonderful and well-deserved tributes have been published by his friends and colleagues via LinkedIn. John leaves both a wonderful personal and professional legacy, and he will be sorely missed. My guest today is Michael Kirschman, who's the co-founder of Plan Notice, a new service that helps companies track and manage communications with its retirement plan participants, as well as a partner and retirement plan advisor at Free Gulliver. I was recently introduced to Michael by Ari Rosenbaum, and I'm glad that he connected the two of us because when I heard about Plan Notice and what Michael had created, I was really intrigued. On this episode, we discuss Michael's background running his family's nearly 100-year-old furniture business in New Orleans and its eventual sale to Rooms to Go, how this created the opportunity for him to go become an advisor with the wealth management firm that had served his family, working with retirement plans, how the DOL's guidance in 2021 around electronic communications and finding missing participants gave him the idea for Plan Notice, the ins and outs of how Plan Notice works to provide an outsourced solution for complying with these new regulations, as well as handling all the other noticing responsibilities and verification by email, by text message, by first-class mail, and even by phone, and also his unique approach to pricing the service. As I learned more about the platform, the more I saw the potential need for this solution, and I thought Michael would be a great guest for the Fiduciary You podcast. So with that introduction, I hope you enjoy the show. Michael Kirschman, welcome to the Fiduciary You podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you so much for having me. You have currently an advisor, but you've actually built a really cool technology platform called Plan Notice. And uh, I actually got connected with you. Ari Rosenbaum sent an email. I think you might have been on his podcast. And he sent me an email and was like, you need to talk to Michael. And you and I had a, uh, a, a chance to, to connect and told me a little bit about your story and, and what you're doing. And I thought it was a really, really cool and, and something that advisors need to hear about, I think, for their clients to solve a need. And so I'm really glad that you're, uh, you're coming on the show. And I think we're going to have a good, good discussion. Well, I'm excited. I really appreciate you reaching out. I appreciate Ari, you know, introducing us and uh, excited to tell you a little more about it. Yeah, absolutely. So you actually have, a, a, I think, a unique story. You didn't grow up in the you know, in the retirement business, you, you came to it after having a cool family business and, and a multi-generational family business, if I remember correctly, in New Orleans. So talk a little bit about kind of your journey of, of just in business, but then how you got into the advisory industry. And then we'll get into how Plan Notice came about based on a need you saw in the marketplace. Absolutely. Well, so, so yeah, so I, I like to tell people, yeah, I am, I am far from a born and bred, 
you know, 401k wealth manager. I am. Um, my family is was or was four generations in the furniture business. We made it to 97 years in the furniture business. It was started by my great great grandfather. Right, he peddled furniture moving over from from Russia, and basically my grandfather grew the business into multiple you know areas of New Orleans, and then my dad took it into multiple cities around the Louisiana area. You know, and I came in after graduating from from college in the early 90s and and grew through the ranks. I started, you know, managing stores and selling in the furniture business and then moved into human resources, which is where I think I found my passion, you know, in the benefits and the 401k and the people side of the business. And then I moved into basically overseeing the front end, the sales and marketing and and merchandising of the business. And Katrina came through New Orleans in, in 06, and we had a real heart-to-heart amongst the family of what our next opportunity was going to be. After, after Katrina had come through, we all sort of sat down and said, what's the next step for the business? Because we were in a rebuild mode as much as New Orleans was in a rebuild mode. And I had... I had looked at the furniture industry and started to get nervous about the long-term viability of it as more and more products shifted overseas and as the margins started to erode, which affected your ability to hire, you know, high class, you know, and high strong employees and the selling world had changed. So we, I redevised the business and sat down with the family and we all sort of said, well, this is a good idea, but it was scary to think about the change. And lo and behold, a few months later, we get a knock on the door from Rooms to Go, a privately held company out of Florida that we knew really well and had rebuilt Florida after Andrew. And they said, we want to come into New Orleans. We want to come into the the greater New Orleans, Louisiana area and help to rebuild after Katrina. Would you have interest in selling? And that was an opportunity for us to take that. So we sold in, in, in 06, we sold the furniture, the core of the furniture business. We maintained our Ethan Allen franchises, which I ran for another three years and had a little bit of a deja vu moment in 2010. Ethan Allen came to us and said, we want to know what your next steps are with Ethan Allen. And I said, well, I either want to grow it big, you know, amongst the region or, you know, I want to look at what my other opportunities are. And Ethan Allen said, well, your region is somewhat limited. We can give you a little bit of space. And I said, well, that's not going to get us where we want. So at that point, we made the decision and we sold Ethan Allen back to Ethan Allen shortly after. And they took over and started running the Ethan Allen stores. And I woke up basically 97 years of furniture, no longer in the furniture business. Was that a hard, um, just out of curiosity, you know, the 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 legacy of you know, four generations or whatever it was, 90, almost a century. Was that hard for you to basically kind of let go given the family history or was it something that you were saying, just given some of the challenges that, that you guys had weathered where you were like, nope, this is a good thing. I'm ready for a new challenge. I think we knew looking back on it, it's always easy to say we made the absolute right decision and, and, my father will will vouch the same decision, you know, day in and day out. At the time, I think it was it was it was scary to, you know, to take basically something that we had built and had a very strong brand and a, a strong reputation in the marketplace and decide that it was time to make the change. Mm-hmm. But but we knew that the industry was becoming more and more complex from an administrative and operational side. 
and less and less profitable from a, you know, from a margin side. So I think, I think, you know, that's sort of what determined the decision and to rebuild the organization, basically to break it down and rebuild it was, you know, sometimes that's even more complicated than just starting from scratch. So, so I think we, looking back, there was, there was some anxiety, but overall it was, we knew it was the right decision at the time. And we, we, we got a good offer. I mean, we were taken care of correctly and it, it was, it was a good situation for us, you know, and that's what took me basically to 2010 when I was now out of the furniture business. And that's when Trip Friedler, who is my business partner in the RIA, he sort of, he had always been a family advisor to us. He handled our family wealth. He had supported us in a lot of ways. And I always joke, he was the one, the one consultant who could sit between my father and I and make sure that we didn't get into fistfights. And, and Trip, after he found out that, or he was part of us selling the business, when he knew everything was completed, he came and sort of said, Michael, why don't you come hang out? with us. Come see what Free Gulliver's about. And that was the start of it. I mean, I literally went over, we had we had no agreements, we had no I, I I didn't have a salary. I just went and sort of hung out and found that there was this opportunity in the benefits consulting plan design side of the world and that in a lot of ways I had a reasonable story for people because I had sat on their side of the table. So when I was sitting in front of a you know, CFO or a CEO or a, or an HR director, I knew the pains and agonies that they were dealing with, and I could tell them the same stories they could tell me. And that's how I sort of started my relationships there, just locally working with a lot of people who I know who sat in shoes that I had sat in and found the ability to grow both the, the 401k side, some benefits, you know, support outside of that, and grew that division of what Free Gulliver now has is, you know, our overall RIA between wealth management and, you know, and business consulting. And then about four years later, Trip came to me and said, you know, why don't you buy 50% of the business from me so that we can be equal partners moving forward? And we worked out those deals and that's where we are today. So that's the RIA piece. And I've always spent the majority of my time on the business consulting side of it. And Trip spends his time on the wealth management side, which makes life easy for us. We sort of have our, our areas of expertise. Got it. Got it. And so, you know, I, I think one of the unique things about that story, which I think I, I can totally see how that was helpful was there's a kindredness that you have with these, you know, whether it's a CFO or a VP of HR or whatnot, like you actually sat in their seat, you know, the things that they were going through, the challenges that they have, which I would imagine is really, really instructive when you're engaging with them because you, you've, they probably feel like you're one of them. Is that fair? I feel that way. At least it, it's, it's, you know, again, it's, it's a, I feel like it's an easier conversation. Most of my conversations aren't about what I'm selling. It's about the things that they're dealing with. And, you know, we get to talk about that more often than we talk about whatever I'm trying to bring to the table. Right. Yeah, you know, it was, it was an interesting when I had my firm over the years, even though I, you know, ran these retirement committees, I was engaging with like the C-level, right? And all of my clients and, you know, much like you, like owning and running. And I had, you know, I had, had, you know, things like 
the 401k and benefits and compliance. I have all this stuff that, that my co-founder and I, when we started, we were 50, 50 partners and, you know, he, he took certain responsibilities, right? When you're small, like you got an org, we had an org chart when we first started, it was just two of us. We had like 20 roles on the org chart and our names were on every single one. Um, we had to figure it out and we, we, we'd never owned a business before. And so there was a lot of like trial, you know, by error and, and figuring things out. But one of the things I, I thought was, was really helpful was when I would start working with plans and with these committee members, a lot of our conversations were more about what's happening with your business. And, you know, I actually could speak to them about business issues because a lot of what I did with the firm was working on the business, not, not just working in the business, being an advisor, but working on the business. And, you know, I always felt like that, that in the eyes of clients, at least we were having strategic discussions about their business that the 401k plugged into and, and it had an impact on. But a lot of times in committee meetings, we would be talking about things, not even about, you know, about the 401k, they'd be talking about, about a business issue. And I'd be like, you know, I, you know, I dealt with something like that as well. And, you know, here's what we did and here's how we did it. Here's some of the things that we learned. And, oh, I have somebody, you know, if you're, you know, you, you are over overhauling IT, you know, we wound up outsourcing that, you know, went to the cloud and here's who we wound up hiring. And this is what we did. If you want me to give you an introduction and they'd be like, yeah, that's great. I'd love to talk to so-and-so. And so it was more of like a, I felt like I was more of a business advisor that happened to, also work on the 401k plan, not just, Hey, I'm the 401k advisor that shows up every quarter. And we talk about, you know, plan related things. Now, I think that's the added value that, you know, that we all try to provide, right. You know, I mean, that's, that's how you create the relationships, hopefully that, that will last, you know, through any ups or downs that take place in, in the, you know, your core responsibilities. Absolutely. And so you obviously you built this 401k practice, you built this business consulting practice over the years. I don't know how many people in particular, but I looked at Free Gulliver. Really interested where that name came from. Was it literary focused? I guess is uh, is a question is. I have. Yep. But looks like you guys probably have 15, 20 people, something something in that range, maybe a little more, maybe a little less. So you've obviously you guys have built, you and Trip have built a really successful firm. Tell me about where the name came from, but then tell me about how because the thrust of this conversation is really not about your RA, but about right. plan notice, which is this new solution that you've built and that you've launched. I want to know how the idea for plan notice came up. Before you get there, where did the name Free Gulliver is not a common wealth management RIA name? Where'd that come from? So I can't take any credit for Free Gulliver. Trip gets all the credit, but the story behind it is 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 that so Trip grew up in the life insurance business. His family had life insurance brokerage and or life insurance brokerage companies, and they and he sold it in '99, and and woke up and realized that what he really wanted to do is he wanted to help people solve problems, and most of that was circled around wealth and his expertise when it came to wealth management and succession planning that he learned in the life insurance business, but he wanted to help people solve problems, so in in sort of really spending time with with friends and people who he trusted in developing the business strategy and note again at this point in time I was more a client than I was a involved in the business 
he sat with a marketing company and told him, what I want to do is I want to help people eliminate the things that tie them down. And he said, oh, so Gulliver's the said, said, you right, Gulliver's Travels, you yeah. want to be you want to cut the strings that tie people down. And that's how they came up the name with the name Free Gulliver. So the, the whole basis behind Free Gulliver is we're not just purely an RIA firm. We want to solve your problems. We want to cut the strings that tie you down. We want we believe in, you know, the concepts of Marcus Buckingham and first break all the rules of spend your time working on your strengths. Don't spend time dealing with your weaknesses. Let's get rid of them. So that's the basis of Free Gulliver. And that's a culture that Trip and I both live. And, you know, to bring it full circle, that's a little bit of what plan notice is, is trying to help eliminate, you know, stuff that ties people down. I love it. I love it. Taking me back to my uh, English lit classes uh, back in uh, back in college, back in the day. So describe what plan notice is and how you came up with the idea. So. Plan notice came out of the fact that as, as, a, as someone who's, who's spent, you know, who's had sort of half of his life selling a product and then the second half of his life selling more consulting and service, I've always, I've always had a draw towards product. I've always had a sort of something in me that looks at problems and says there's better ways to handle it rather than just building a process around it or just handing it over to someone to, to take care of. And so I've watched the industry closely, you know, over the years. And, and I, I basically kept looking for where I thought there might be a real need for a product. And plan notice came from that. Basically, when I first read the Department of Labor's best practice that they released in 2021 regarding participant communication and the missing participant requirements, I looked at it and I said, I know that there's solutions out there for this, but all the solutions that are built are reactive. They're all, they're, they all require the plan sponsor to know who's missing and provide a list to someone who then charges a fee to go find them. And, and I said, that may be, you know, that may be 50% of the solution, but it's not a hundred percent of the solution. And in a perfect world, we never lose people in 401k. We stay in touch with them and we make sure that these, these accounts that they have don't become orphaned, which I believe was the impetus behind the Department of Labor best practices. It just happens to fall right at the same time that all the reports came out that there was a trillion dollars of orphaned 401k you know, accounts out there. So, so where it came about was from sort of that that desire to try to create a solution that would prevent these missing participants from, you know, from existing and of, and also to try to support plans in trying to implement a process that when I read it on paper is almost impossible to implement. It is you, it would require a team of benefits administrators to manage that for a plan of any kind of scale. So so that's that's where I looked at it and said there's an opportunity. And then I was fortunate enough that a close friend of mine who grew up in the technology space dealing mainly with government technology looked at the rule and he said I can build a process and software that basically helps to automate the majority if not all of this which is what made it scalable to create plan notice and be able to do it for you know as many plans as needs the help and do it at an affordable price. 
pretty much every plan needs needs the help. That's my opinion. Is is, is that I, I truly believe that I don't know if there is a plan that actually fulfills the the noticing communi- and the communication piece the way the Department of Labor outlined it in 2021. I think there are plans that come close, and most of those have a lot of administrative support. But I've talked to over the last 90 days as we've gone public with plan notice, I've probably talked to 250 to 300 plan sponsors, and I don't know of one that actually you know, most of them don't even know what the detailed process is supposed to look like, but the few that do really struggle to actually check all the boxes, like, you know, to send direct messaging via social media is something that, you know, I think three out of the 250 plans I've talked to actually knew they had to do. So I think that's, you know, that's the big opportunity of plan notice is to be able to say, just like we do, just like the 401k space over the years has said, let me go find a 338 who's going to manage my investment lineup because that's better than me building a committee, managing that committee on a regular basis around the investment side and having to bring in experts to help me. Let me just outsource that responsibility to someone who can take that fiduciary off of me. We believe that the noticing piece is what plan notice can do to do the same thing for plans so they don't have to worry about it and spend all their time dealing with that. And and do you feel like, you know, maybe at a high level, just for listeners, if maybe you could kind of summarize like your interpretation of the DOL guidance. And then also, you know, I think like in a lot of cases, there's probably the expectation by plan sponsors that, well, my TPA or my record keeper, like they're taking care of this for me when that may not be actually uh, actually the case. So how would you summarize the guidance? And then where do you think the breakdown is between what plan sponsors think their service providers are doing versus what's actually happening? So I think, you know, th- thanks. That's a, that's, that's a, I think that's an important clarification. So I appreciate you asking. I, so when I read the rules and, and the, and, and in, with the multiple ERISA council that I've talked to, I think, I think that there's, there's good understanding that this was the purpose is, is, is that I think the department of labor, when they released their best practices, intentionally shifted the burden away from the participant keeping their plan census data up to date and shifted that burden back to the plan sponsor. And I think the only way to do that is when you communicate to a plan participant, it's it's now the requirement of the plan sponsor to verify that that information is reaching the ears of the person who they're trying to to get to, and so what that means is 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 that historically, so of actually not just doing that, but actually proving that a best efforts approach has been made. Exactly is, is on is on the plan is on the plan sponsor. That's exactly right, and to make it even harder, it's also it's proving that it was done and being able to document and show that on top of it, so that. If the Department of Labor ever walked in, if you ever had a disgruntled employee who called the DOL and created a review, you would be able to say, 
I check all the boxes. Here's all the information. So, and I think if, if you don't mind, let me, I'll walk through what we do for a second, just so that, because I think that helps to clarify it. So what we did when we built it is we took the Department of Labor best practice guideline. We sat down with Bruce Ashton and his legal team and said, let's outline out all the touch points that are required under this and how those touch points need to be verified. And by doing that, we built out a flow chart, which is how we built our software around. So what our product does is anytime a notice has to go out or once a year when we do a census verification confirmation, which we feel are basically the same. One is to verify that the the data in the system is correct. And the, the notice is basically one that's sending out an actual notice. But what we do is our system takes the census data that currently exists in the record keeping system. We bring that into our system and then we send out first an email that goes out to the email address that's on file. And that email says, based on Department of Labor best practices, we ask you to verify. And if it's a sense, if we're verifying census data, it says we ask you to verify the address, phone number and email address that we show in this email. Or if it's a notice, we ask you to verify receipt of the notice by opening it and clicking that you've received it. If they don't do that, then we send the same information out by text message to their phone number on file and say, please again, verify the right information is here if it's a census update or verify the notice receipt. If they don't respond to that, we send out the, we send it out via first class mail. If again, it's a census review, we send out a postcard that has their email address, phone number and address on it to ask them to clarify with a QR code that they can scan and confirm. If it's a notice, we send the whole notice, all the pages, not just a cover page in an envelope with a cover letter that again has a QR code on it that they can scan. A side note is the reason we send the whole notice is because that checks the box related to the electronic delivery requirements because not all plans can manage the electronic delivery requirements effectively where if someone has the opt-out right, you have to send them paper notice. So we solve that problem by sending everyone paper notice if they need it. It's kind of like a waterfall process in some ways. Obviously, what's best for everybody, they get the email, they open it, they click on the link, they verify that's documented. If that doesn't happen, it waterfalls to the next step in the process. If yeah. that doesn't work, it waterfalls to the next step in the process. And so it's kind of like a multi-channel approach to reach out. Hopefully, one of those methods somebody's going to going to, to respond. That's our hope. But if they don't, what our system does at that point is it, it sends a report of who hasn't acknowledged to human resources. And human resources then has the ability to say, I'm either going to find those people or we want you to find them. And that's when we kick in our escalation steps, which are exactly how the department has outlined it, which is, we then run a national skip trace and find their best new address, phone number, and email address. We have a call center that digitally records outbound phone calls to, to them to verify that their information is correct and to verify that they've received their notice. If we don't reach them that way, we send out certified mail and our system digitally records the return of the green card showing a signature or not or no signature. 
we don't reach them that way, we follow the next step, the DOL says, which is to reach out via direct messaging and social media. We have an administrative team that sends notices, sends the, the communication and social media and records that, screenshots all of that communication. And if we don't reach them that way, then we escalate and do a beneficiary search and do exactly the same thing through the beneficiary process. And where we believe that we're unique is every time that campaign is run, we create a documented compliance file for the plan that shows every step we pursued with every participant to the point that they confirmed receipt. So if if someone re- responds to the email, that checks them off the box there. But if they don't respond until certified mail, we have all the pieces documented that we did all the way to certified mail, which allows the plan to know that, again, if the department ever walked in, if there was ever a reviewing process, it would be here. Let me send you my, you know, all of my compliance related to noticing. It's the only source that, you know, can show you not just that we did it, but show you each step and the validation of each step that we did. So that's what we've built. And it might even be, you know, it might even be beyond what the department would expect. But we just sort of feel like it's never it's never bad to be more than right. someone expects. Right. Yeah. And 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 that validation piece, right, is is really kind of the is is kind of the key there. I'm assuming that in that process, once somebody proactively acknowledges, they then get taken out of the next step in the workflow. Absolutely. Once an acknowledgement happens, they've confirmed their responsibility and that participant's box has been checked. So the only people we're escalating are the people who haven't verified themselves, haven't, haven't, haven't acknowledged yet. And, and you guys, this isn't just, I think the impetus maybe initially was terminated participants, maybe or maybe not, but, but this isn't, you guys will actually take on notice delivery for all notices related for the plan, not just some, yeah. correct? That's that's a hundred percent right, and we actually that's what we'd like to do for a plan because what what we find is, is is that your active participants it's just as important in today's world to stay to to confirm engagement with your active participants as it is with your ex with your terminated participants, and the reason for that is and I've talked to a lot of payroll administrators and human resource managers. The days of people updating their their address when they move is long gone. And the reason for that is because everyone's even existing employees, even existing employees. And the reason for that is because everyone's on direct deposit. Mm -hmm. So it doesn't matter what address I live in. As long as my paycheck hits my bank account, the amount of HR directors that I talk to who will tell you that in an either in an exit interview or unfortunately, if they don't do an exit interview, when they're trying to send out things like COBRA notice and, you know, 401k rollout paperwork and those items, the amount of that paperwork that bounces back because the person moved and moved three years prior, but didn't update their address and payroll, because again, there was no reason to, because their money was still hitting their bank account. We help to solve that problem with the active participants to make sure that they're getting their notices and we have that validated also because unfortunately we're living in a in a in a world of now this great resignation that's going on so a lot of your active employees may end up being terminated employees at some point 
or I could say it differently and tell you that at some point in time, every active employee will become a terminated employee, either due to retirement, you know, death or termination. So it's good to try. That's why we believe it's important to do it on the actives and the terminated and just check the box and not say one is one person's responsibility and one is another person's responsibility. And so I I would imagine, right, if somebody, let's say the example, it's nice and easy if all the information is correct. If it's not correct, let's say that I moved, I didn't update my address, I now get this, you know, I get this communication to me, whatever it is, I see that they had my old address on file. I update that. How does that flow of information get back to the plant sponsor, get back to payroll, get back to the record keeper? What happens there? So as part of our engagement with all of our plans, we get sort of the key contact people. We don't manipulate any data for anyone. So we are a service and a reporting mechanism. So what we do is, is if if Bob Jones is an employee who has a, an old address in the system and we get Bob via email and he realizes that because his, his physical address is not correct in the system and he updates that, it creates a report that our system generates and we send that report back to whoever the designated person for the plan is related to address updates. So that could be a payroll administrator. It could be a HR director. It could be a benefits administrator. It's whoever they tell us. And we report that back and say, we've received an updated address information. We think that's important for two reasons. One is is because we think it's important that the payroll side knows that that change has taken place so that they can update it, not just for 401k. But the other thing is, is, is that because of the way that 401k remittance traditionally works, if, if the 401k system updates it, but then they do another census pull and it has the old address in it, it's going to override the 401k system as soon as they send it. So we send that information again to the, to the, the company team and have them update the information in payroll and 401k census and everything along those lines so that it's maintained ongoing. Got it. Okay. So how does this interplay work with a TPA or a record keeper who, you know, in many cases may be, to what extent, but but doing notice delivery or basically at least that's part of kind of their scope of services. How does that um, how does that work? So, in most cases, we replace that. And and what I've found in you know in the majority of my conversations with TPAs and with record keepers, they are more than happy to give up that responsibility. Right. Like they, they do it out of out of demand, not out of, out of belief that it, yeah, out of desire. That's a better <laughs> word for it. The other thing is, is, is that, you know, I haven't spoken to a TPA or to a record keeper who has, who has digital documentation of not only the sending, most of them will have mail merge files or something showing that. We'll get, there. we'll get there. But that's actually, I was going to ask you that about like, look, if that's not a service they're providing, then, you know, and as an advisor, just kind of take away since a lot of advisors listen to this, like I would say in that case, you know, go back and, and you know, um, you know, recapture, renegotiate. If that's not a service that's being provided anymore, it shouldn't be something that's built into the record keeping and admin fee. 
The other thing that we find is, is, is that because of the way our system is set up, we don't believe that charging a fee to all participants to send out notices is really the is the intent of the rule. The rule is really written that participants should get noticing for free. So when a plan says we charge $3 per head per notice and charge it to the plan, we don't think that that really fits the you know what the Department of Labor is asking for related to the way that noticing is set up. We feel that the only people who should be assessed a fee regarding noticing are the people who have incorrect information and create work and those are the people who should be charged for it. So that's the or, other piece of or fail to respond to exactly any, any of these best efforts yeah. attempts to contact them. That's exactly right. So, you know, so that that's the other piece of the puzzle that we think that we solve is we take away a cost for the participants when the participant is doing everything they're supposed to do, which is keeping their address, you know, information up to date, keeping their email address up to date, you know, responding to confirmations that they have received the noticing. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that in terms of talk about pricing. How does that, you know, how does that work? So we believe that's our secret sauce. You know, we, we think our technology is terrific, but the way that we've built it and the efficiencies that we've put in, what it's allowed us to do is we take over the noticing responsibilities for any plan that engages with us. And we take that over at no cost to the company and no cost to the plan. So what we do is, is, is that anytime a notice has to go out, we send that notice through our first three phases email, text message, and first-class mail, and there's no cost for that. The only time we assess a fee is after we send the report of people who haven't confirmed back to us to human resource or to whoever the plan asks us to send it to. If they ask us to escalate to do our location search as per the Department of Labor, we charge the participants that we do the location search for doing the location search, meaning we charge the participant's account balance a cost of $95, which allows us to do our skip trace. It does our outbound call center outreach to them, certified mail, and direct messaging for social media, all for that. And we reach, and that's how we're reaching out to the participant to update their information. But we assess that fee only to that participant's account. If we have to do a beneficiary and only if they've ignored the first three steps in that workflow, if they've responded, obviously they can be validated that way without starting to incur additional work, additional costs. Once they're validated through one of those first three methods, they're not going to be subject to a fee. So really the fee is only hitting the people who are pretty much totally disengaged from these other methods. That's exactly right. So so back to the earlier part of the conversation, we believe we're the only fair solution that right now exists in the industry that we're aware of, because if Michael Kirschman is part of a plan and Michael Kirschman keeps his information up to date and Michael Kirschman verifies receipt of the email or the text message or the first class mail, I'm not going to get charged anything for getting my notices, which is what we think that the rules say. The only time I would get charged is exactly as you said, is if I ignored those messages 
or if I never received the message because my information that I put in the system has changed and, you know, I no longer have access to the old information. And in that case, what plan notice is doing is, is it's finding me so that I never lose that account balance. So the $95 and what, what is funny is, is, is that a lot of plan sponsors will say, do you get a lot of pushback on the $95? And they sort of laugh with me when I say, actually, I get a lot of thank yous for the $95 because I'm finding people who just found, you know, $6,000 that they either have just sort of, they just sort of marked it off as it's gone because they hadn't pursued it for five to six years. You know, and at this point in time, they had left the company. They had moved three times. The company might have changed record keepers or they just don't even know where to start. So we're finding them and they're like, wow, that's six thousand dollars I never found. So we get more thank yous than we have people calling us saying you shouldn't charge us anything to find us. Yeah, I would imagine if it's an existing employee, you know, let's just say for sake of argument, an existing employee for whatever. I mean, we all we all get probably too much email and text spam and spam phone calls. I just got a spam phone call yesterday, actually, and it was the message was in Spanish. And I was like, I'm not sure I'm your demographic. Um, And so, you know, it's easy when we're inundated with information just to kind of ignore things. But I would imagine, let's just say an existing employee, they don't respond to those first three. They get charged 95. You know, hopefully at that point, that should be the only time they get charged because now they're going to know you know, one, I'll update, make sure my information is correct. But then, you know, moving forward, I may be paying more attention to these kind of phase one, phase two, phase three contact points so that I don't put myself in a position where I get dinged again. Is that fair? And you're, you're a hundred percent right. And I will tell you that we, we make a, a big point at the rollout of our program to make sure people understand that this is what's coming We've built in sort of our onboarding process. And part of that is, is we ask human resources to send out a pre-built letter that basically explains what we're doing with sample emails and sample text messages and sample pieces of mail so that they understand what's going to be coming so that they can look for it. Because look, I, I completely agree with you. In today's spam world, it's easy to hit delete, delete. So we've worked really hard to create that communication. The other thing we do that I think is what also helps in that process is our communication doesn't come as plan notice. It comes as the plan. All of our email communication is, is, is titled and letterheaded with the plant, with the company logo and the plans information. And it just, it's all powered by plan notice. It's all, but it's, but it's not coming plan notice wants you to verify you're a member of such and such plan. It is, you know, it is the free Gulliver 401k plan is reaching out to you and asks for verification. You're really kind of the Intel inside and kind of the, the right. You're the, the, the infrastructure that drives it, but it's going to be personalized to the person's company, to their plan so that they, you know, they could think that's a phishing email plan. Notice they, if they don't know who plan notice is, they're more likely to ignore it because they may think that, hey, this is, you know, is this some type of social engineering or something like that? The fact that it comes from and personalized to their plan, to their employer, hopefully that would, you know, get them to be more likely to take action, which it sounds like at the end of the day, I mean, obviously Planos is in in business to make money. 
you know, and so in some way, shape or form, the economics, like you got to have people who don't take, uh, right. who, who, who don't take action to, to you know, to make, uh, to make all the magic work. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when you're, ha- when you're a parent and you have kids and, you know, you give them kind of warnings, like, you know, don't make me discipline you, like, do, right. you know, clean your room. Like, I'm going to tell you four times to clean your room. If we get to a fifth time, you know, unfortunately, you're going to force my hand. And it sounds like the way the system is in some ways is kind of like that. It's and I like the fact that at the forefront as the onboarding is that you're giving people a heads up so that hopefully they can't come back and be like, well, I never knew. It's like, actually, you know, we told you four different times and, you know, don't blame, don't blame me for the fact that you didn't get around to doing what, you know, we've made every effort possible to do for you for free. And that's the premise. Look, again, I've sat on that in that HR seat. I've sat in that CFO seat. The last thing I want is to be getting emails or people walking into the office saying, you implemented something and you're taking my money. So I want to give them, you know, just as much support as I give to, you know, us internally in the company, which is, you know, our goal is to find the people who don't have their proper information in the system so that we update that information and they're solved. And we don't need 20% of the people to escalate for us to be a financially, you know, positive company. We, you know, we've built the model on basically one to 2% of people escalating, which we think is low in a traditional, you know, in most businesses, just based on turnover and ex-participants, but that's how we built the model. So our, our goal is not for 50% of the people to have to, you know, get charged $95. Right. Do you ever have planned sponsors that say, you know what, we'll, 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 we'll pick up the cost. I mean, they're not probably looking to go around to, to, to pick up costs, but, you know, I even think about like, you know, you've got record keeping fees where companies will, I actually think in the litigation world, it's so funny, everybody, you know, if you want to stop getting phone calls or you want to stop the threat of litigation, for excessive record keeping fees, like as a company, you know how you fix that? Yeah, pay hey, record keeping fee directly as a as you know, build it into your PL and pay the cost directly. Guess what? If you do that, you kind of firewall things. But you never, I, I mean, I've never seen a plan that they may pay the record keeping fee for everybody, but when somebody takes out a loan and gets hit with a transaction fee or takes out a distribution, like I've never seen a a, a company that's going to pick up that cost. And I think that's probably the similar mindset to this as well is this is more of like a, an individual participant transaction, not a plan cost. And to your point, to your question. And again, we've only been out to the market really since January, you know, but in many of my conversations, I shouldn't say many in some of my conversations, especially with large advisors who are looking at this product for their for their clients they'll ask that question to date no one has taken us up on that because the answer is yes we, i have my invoicing i can send the invoice wherever you want me to send it to yes. you know and and you just tell me who's going to pay it and i'll send them the invoice but to date no one has taken me up on the op- on the offer to say hey send me the invoice they've they've all said you know what Go ahead and send it to the record keeper. Let them process it. If we decide to change that down the road, we will. And yeah. I'm good with that. No, that makes sense. So so you've been out to market 90 days or so, got this thing launched. Talk a little bit about 
you know, distribution strategy? Like where are you looking? How, how, um, you know, hopefully something like this podcast or Ari's podcast can help spread the word about plan notice. Cause I do think this is actually a, for advisors. I think this is a really interesting solution for how can you help differentiate? Um, because most advisors are not talking about the DOL guidance around electronic communications or missing participants. They're not talking to that uh, with, with prospects or with their clients, I think in most cases. And so, you know, you always want to help keep your clients, you know, ahead of the curve, right? You, you always want to make sure that the first time a client hears about something, they hear it from you. They don't hear it from one of your competitors. Cause if so, you know, now you're going to be put on the defensive. And I think what's interesting about this is the fact that, that the advisor can bring a solution to solve a need and, and, and most likely a need that's, that's, their clients are totally unaware of, but they can do it as a value add without it being, you know, a burden on the plan sponsor. And so what's your strategy for how do you partner with advisors? Um, do you partner with TPAs or record keepers that say, you know what, instead of the advisor bringing this to the client, I mean, it's really just kind of a, you know, a, a cost projection. If we do the notices, like how much time do we spend doing notices each year as part of our scope of services and what do we pay for it? And, and what's, you know, at the end of the day, that's what's the revenue we make, but what's the profit on that work? And if it's easier to plug in plan notice to do something for us, maybe our revenue goes down a little bit, but our profit goes up because now we can, you know, we don't, we don't have to carry the, the cost burden of that. Do you partner with TPAs? Do you partner with record keepers? Or is it primarily your distribution channel through advisors? What's the strategy? So, so year to date, basically in the first 90 days of us, of us being open and running, we've sort of done it in all of the above. We have we have engaged with a excuse me we've engaged in conversation. I do not have an engagement yet with a record keeper, but we've talked to a group of the sort of the the medium sized record keepers, more of the regional or the the more specific record keepers, who have had a lot of interest in the product and in the solution because they feel like it is something that they could embed and potentially add a value add even if it's an optional addition for for a plan where basically when they're bringing on a plan, do you want us to handle the noticing via this solution or do you want to handle your noticing? We've had good conversations there. I've had a lot of conversations with TPAs who, you know, who have had to take on the noticing piece of the puzzle out of, you know, out of, again, sort of need more than desire because they know that a lot of their plans are not handling the noticing right. And they feel that it's just going to get a finger pointed at them. So they've taken it over. A lot of the TPAs that I've talked to really like the way we price also because it doesn't change their pricing model. It just changes their fee disclosure. So at this point, they wouldn't have to go back to a plan and say, we need to add $3.50 per notice per participant to you to do our noticing solution. Now they come back and they say, look, we can we can take over your noticing responsibilities. There's just going to be an additional fee to the participant if they don't respond under our solution. So there's a lot of TPAs who have been interested. But the core, the bulk of it is happening. A lot of a lot of the growth right now is happening through 
two sides of it. One are the fiduciary experts. Those are the ones who really like this. The people who are outsourced fiduciaries for plans who have said, this is a, this is a solution that we need. And we think that it, it, it unties a burden that regarding census data, that is something that fiduciaries can't control. So it checks one more box off the list of things that they can help with. And then the second is advisors. And what's interesting from an advisory standpoint, and I probably shouldn't give away sort of, you know, some of the things that I've heard from some of my advisors who are who are utilizing this well, but I think it's a good selling point for plan notices. You know, as a guy who's been an advisor, you know, and so have you, Josh, you've been an advisor. You know, we're always looking for an excuse to talk to somebody. And and that excuse, you know, we've sort of run out of investment, you know, portfolio excuse. And we've run out of fee RFP excuse. I mean, all of our plan sponsors have heard that a ton of times. This is a new excuse. So I have some advisors who have adopted this and they've used it as a sort of a, you know, getting past the gatekeeper, so you know, opportunity. That's all the prospecting tool. That's exactly right. Where they've, you know, maybe they've they've talked to a plan three years ago and haven't made any headway with it. And now it's an excuse to call back and say, hey, I've got a unique solution that I want to show you. And it doesn't affect your plan currently in any way, but you should look at it to see if it's something you'd like to look at because it gets them in the door to then have more conversations. And once the hood gets lifted up, we all know as advisors, if we lift up the hood, we can usually find enough reasons that we're of a, we're a value. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's the same thing with, with my new platform, Fiduciary RX, right? It's the same thing. It's a way to, you know, how do you have better conversations, deeper, more meaningful, more engaging? How do you, you know, how do you engage and, and, and have those, you know, at the end of the day, that's what everybody what everybody suffers from growth wise is not having too many conversations. It's having too few conversations. And if you can do things and, and, and so much of the industry and what we've done is like, everybody says the same thing. Everybody does the same thing. And so it's really hard to kind of differentiate it falls on deaf ears. And so, you know, I'm having a similar experience. I think where advisors are like, Hey, this is a, this is a new thing that I can go talk about, change the conversation try to pop the hood. Cause if I can pop the hood, I like my chances, you know, of being able to get hired as the mechanic, if you will, to kind of take that analogy full, uh, full circle. So, no, I think that's, I, I think that's a really interesting, I think it's a really interesting approach, um, approach as well to use plan notice to try to, in some ways as a, as, as a, as a, uh, as a conversation starter, if you will. We have some advisors who've been really successful with that. Mm-hmm. You know, to your note, I was on the call. I was on a call with a plan sponsor yesterday who told me that they received in the last three months, they've had eight phone calls of people asking to do an RFP on their 401k right. plan. Right. You know, and she asked me, she said, you're not calling to ask me to do an RFP on your 401k. But I said, I promise I'm not. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. And she talked to me for 45 minutes about plan notice because she was intrigued. It was something she didn't know was even something she should be doing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, obviously where I see the market for this the most is down market. You know, I think there's, because, you know, a lot of those plans, they don't have the internal, you know, operations capability. One, they they probably aren't even talking to anybody who's actually sat down and talked to them about, about the, the DOL guidance. They don't know what their obligations are. They don't know what's now, you know, kind of the game, 
you know, the pieces on the chessboard, right, with this new guidance have shifted a little bit, right? They're not really aware of that. And they probably don't have the internal staff to be able to do it. And they probably don't have the know-how to even know if their current providers are doing it and are doing it in a way, not that don't take it the wrong way, but, you know, those those whiteboarding sessions with Bruce and uh, workflowing everything, I mean, probably not the most exciting conversations uh, in the world unless you're a super 401k nerd. <laughs> I think down market and people ask me a lot of times, like if I was going to build a traditional advisory firm again, like I would go in the under $10 million plan space. I mean, that's where 95% of plans are. Um, there's a lot of still kind of the wild west. There's a lot of, you know, it's really hard to compete up market really where I played. You've got lots of really good firms. You've got the specialists, like everybody does a good job, super competitive, but there's a huge opportunity down market. And I think plan notice has the capabilities where that's in probably in some ways, that's where it could be most valuable, where you have companies who don't know what they're supposed to do, have no idea to figure out how to do it and don't have the internal staff to support it. And you guys can step in and, you know, you can do that without disrupting. I think that's the other takeaway. Like this is not, they don't have to change their provider. They don't have to change their TPA. They don't have to change their advisor. They don't have to do anything to plug and play you guys in there. Is that a fair encapsulation? You you just nailed it. I mean, and that is the eye opening thing. When come you come sell the fan notice, man. Why don't you hire me? I'll be like your uh, one of your that's sales what, guys. <laughs> deal. <laughs> you know, but you're exactly right. I mean, that's the conversation I have with everybody. Is is you know, when I get on a call, it's I'm not looking to displace your record keeper. I'm not looking to displace your TPA. I hope to. I hope you love your advisor. That's that's what I want. I just want to take off. I want you to not have to worry about sending out notices. And what I really don't want you to have to worry about is those stacks of return mail that may or may not show up. And then you go, what do I do with it? Yeah. I want to solve all of that problem. Yeah. For and you. it doesn't become an issue, right? Until it becomes an issue. You know, right. it's, things could be fine. It's like, you know, I could be walking around. Hopefully I'm not, but, you know, I feel fine right now, but who knows? I could have cancer and it could be eaten away, but I'm not symptomatic. And so it's not until... You know, next thing I know, I go to the doctor and it's like, hey, you got stage four cancer. It's it's right. So there's this kind of ignorance is bliss, you know, where the rubber probably meets the road with the plan sponsor. God forbid they go through, you know, some type of DOL audit or really, God forbid, a investigation. And, you know, they start these questions, the DOL, if they decide to kind of enforce around this, they start asking questions and poking and prodding and you know, what you can do, I think, is put them in a position where when that happens, that, um, you know, they can kind of pass, you know, get a clean bill of health and pass with flying colors. And my my feeling over the years working with lots of plans and, and having lots of plans who, you know, got audited was, you know, the DOL and the IRS, like they're going to come in and they're going to poke and prod. And if you have your stuff together, they... I found a lot of times would go a little bit easier, but like, if you didn't have your stuff together, it was kind of like, Hey, where's the smoke? Where's the fire? If there's smoke, there's fire. And then you started to get into like scope creep of like, okay, well now I'm going to ask about this and I'm going to ask about this. And so in some ways, this is a way to probably um, protect your flank by having, you know, a good solution in, in place. Um, I'm really intrigued by plan notice. When I, when I heard about it and I, I, 
got the email from Ari and then I, I went on your website real quick. And I, I think within like 10 minutes, I reached out to you and I was like, Hey man, let's chat. I want to learn more about what you're doing and potentially be on my podcast. So I think this is awesome. I love what you're doing. One of the things I, as we wrap up, I often ask guests is what's their best piece of advice that they could give to fiduciaries? Um, what would that be from your perspective? Having, you know, obviously in the advisory world, but now, really being kind of an expert in this DOL guidance around communications, what would be your best piece of advice that you'd give the fiduciaries? Well, so, so remember, I grew up an HR guy. And when you're in HR, all you're told is document, document, document. And I, I believe that that's the same conversation as you have as a fiduciary is, is, is that there's, there's nothing too simple, you know, or nothing too small to document when it comes to conversations. Because just like you said, if the Department of Labor comes knocking, or if you get one of those letters from them, if you can show them that you take you take your plan serious and that you have compliance files and you have procedures in place, and those are documented, like you said, they go find someone else to knock on the door. They don't want to knock on yours. They don't, they're not in a witch hunt to try to find the one thing you missed. So when it comes to fiduciary oversight, to me, that's what it's all about. Document everything you're doing, show that you're paying attention to it. That will come back to benefit you, you know? Yeah. And, and I think that that's what I believe in. If the doc wasn't documented, wasn't done. That's right. So where can people stay connected with you? Where can they learn about plan notice and what you're doing if they want to reach out? And um, what's the best way to, to, to contact you? Well, great. So, so we have our website, which is www.plannotice.com. So it's pretty simple there. That has all that you can reach out to me directly, you know, and contact me. You can contact my business partner, Brian Danos, who's the operations and technology side of the business. He's, he's listed there. I'm on LinkedIn under Michael Kirschman and Plan Notice. You can find me there. You can email me directly at Michael at plannotice.com. So pretty easy to remember. And you know, you'll find you you're gonna get me and I'm gonna call you back. So that's uh, that's I just right now it's 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 me on the front end and it's Brian on the back end. So you're not gonna talk to anybody in between. Got it. Got it. Well, Michael, I think I've really enjoyed the conversation. Love what you're doing from one kind of product guy to another. And um, thank you so much for being a guest. Josh, I, I really appreciate you reaching out and for giving us this time to talk about it. And uh, just, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So if anybody has questions, please don't hesitate, reach out. I'd love to talk to y'all. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to today's episode with Michael Kirschman from Plan Notice. If you'd like more information and to learn more, go to fiduciaryworks.com slash podcast. And while you're there, be sure to check out Fiduciary Rx, my new tech platform that helps retirement plan advisors diagnose, prescribe, and improve fiduciary wellness. And make sure to sign up on the site so we can stay connected. I'd love to help you stay in the know about what's happening in the world of corporate retirement plans. And if you've got questions you'd like me to answer, topics you'd like me to discuss, guests you think would be a good fit for the show, or any other feedback, I'd love to hear from you. Also, head over to Amazon and check out my two books, The Fiduciary Formula and Fixing the 401k. And if you want an easy way to support the show, I'd really appreciate you leaving a review on Apple Podcast. It's the best way to help other people find the show when I read each one. Until next time. 
thanks again for listening to the Fiduciary You podcast. Mm-hmm.